listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Just basic Christian doctrine, because a lot of times, again, I mean, as a pastor, I use a lot of terminology, uh, a lot of biblical words, and, and, you know, I know what they mean. I kind of understand, you know, the etymology of the word or or how the Bible uh, interprets it or wants us to understand it, and so you just kind of assume that everybody kind of is working off the same information. It's just not true, and so we get a lot of people that made your first time here, maybe you're kind of not a Christian, you're just seeking uh, this morning to understand more about the Christian faith, and so oftentimes it's just really important to kind of go back and really kind of define what we kind of think are some basic things, and so we kind of talked about the Trinity, and we use that word, and and again, I know what that means, and and I understand it a little bit, um, but there are people, they're not even familiar with the word, and so again, it's just important to go back and say, here's what we believe, and here's why we believe what we believe, and so that's really kind of been the premise of the whole um, series. We kind of looked at the scriptures. You know, um, you know, why is the Bible so important? Why is it a foundation uh, for the Christian faith? And so today I kind of want to take that word Trinity and I kind of want to break it down and I kind of want to just focus on each of the three members, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So next week I'm going to talk about who is Jesus. But today I want to just kind of focus on who is God. Now, Before we get into this, let me just kind of state the obvious here. I am in over my head, okay? Did you find that slide back there, Tasha, with the hands? There we go. That's me. Had that done over at Big Blue this week, so... I'm in over my head, okay? Anytime anyone finite, such as myself, tries to define or to explain or to reveal someone infinite such as God, again, you are immediately in over your head. You've bitten off way more than you can chew. Now, thankfully, we have the Word of God, which again is written by man, but more importantly, it is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is because of the word of God that we know anything about God because God has chosen to reveal himself to us, to tell us about himself through the scriptures. That's why the Bible's so important. I talked about that a few weeks ago. If God had chosen to remain silent and hidden and reveal nothing about himself to us, we would know nothing about God. So the Bible, again, it becomes an indispensable source as to knowing something about who God is, his plans, his purposes for our lives. So again, when the Bible teaches that God is infinite, it means that God's presence knows no limits. In other words, in God's infiniteness, He surrounds the finite creation and contains it. Just think about that video. All the galaxies out there. God, he contains all of that. There's no place beyond God for anything else to be. There is no place beyond God for anything else to be. Psalm 139 captures this beautifully. It says, where can I go from your spirit? 
or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Because God is infinite, he is everywhere always. Psalm 139, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful psalm. You should read it in its entirety. It's, it's a marvelous, just a inspired uh, psalm. Hildebert of Laverndon once wrote, he said, God is over all things, under all things, outside all Within but not enclosed, without but not excluded, above but not raised up, below but not depressed, holy above presiding, holy beneath sustaining, holy within filling. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? I just, I've read that like probably like about 30 times this week. So again, you see the challenge in someone finite describing or explaining someone infinite. There's a story about a group of engineers, geologists, chemists, scientists who came together to try to answer this one question, where did the universe come from? They spent years compiling information, checking it out, rechecking it. They fed all of their data into this super gigantic computer. The magic moment came. When they had fed all of their knowledge, their theories, their hypothesis, their research into that computer, and they asked it the question, where did the universe come from? And everybody gathered around, and there's this holy hush all around the laboratory as they await the response. A button was punched, lights flashed, bells rang, relays opened and closed, and finally a tight message emerged. It said, see Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about this in the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. Genesis, it is the foundation upon which the rest of the Bible sits. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and Genesis chapter 1, it is the foundation for all of the other chapters. There are 23,214 verses in the Old Testament alone. Genesis 1-1 is the foundation of all the other verses. This first verse, made up of 10 words, is profoundly simple and simply profound. In 10 short, simple, succinct Words, we are told the when, who, how, and what of all things. In the beginning, that's the when. God, that's the who. Created, that's the how. The heavens and the earth, that's the what. The rest of the Bible is given as to the why. The first verse gives us the theology of creation. We are told at the very beginning that God created all things from electrons to electricity, from gold to galaxies, from dandelions to dinosaurs, and from apples to Adam. Again, this is vitally important because if Genesis 1-1 is true, then God truly is the answer to every question that matters ultimately to mankind. As a matter of fact, I can confidently say you will never have life's greatest questions answered correctly until you grasp the truth of this one verse in the entire Bible. If this universe is without a maker, it's without a method, then folks, it is without meaning. But you'll see that it is God who is both the maker 
of all that there is and the meaning of all that there is. There's a notion of truth about the creator and the creation in this one verse that causes great fascination and delight concerning the knowledge of him who created everything that has ever been or will ever exist. So let me just share with you a few things we can learn about God from just this one verse in the Bible. First thing we learned is that God is eternal. Now immediately, uh, those first four words just boggle the human mind. We cannot grasp that concept. First, we learn two things about God. First, God transcends time. Now, the word Genesis, it literally means beginning. So Genesis really gives us the beginning of all things except for God because God has no beginning. God was in the beginning, but he was not of the beginning. There was never a time when God was not. There will never be a time when God will not be. Before there was anything, there was God. God was in eternity past. In Isaiah 57, 15, we are told that God is the one who inhabits eternity. Genesis 21, 33, Abraham called him the everlasting God. Moses said in Psalm 90, verse 2, he said, Before the mountains were ever brought forth, you had formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The psalmist said in Psalm 102, verses 12 and 27, he said, But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and your years will have no end. Now, quite honestly, this is, again, it is difficult for the human mind to grasp this. Because logic tells us, and our human experience confirms that, that everything must have a beginning, if not an ending. And yet God is without either. He has no beginning. He has no end. He transcends time. God also transcends thought. Notice that God is never argued for, defended, or proved in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? He is simply asserted and assumed in the beginning, God. Now, you may not know this, but there's not one proof presented in all of the Bible for the existence of God. Why is that? Well, first of all, it's impossible to prove the existence of God. How can a finite human, as I've already said, prove the existence of an infinite God? It's impossible. But may I also say, it is impossible to prove the inexistence of God. I cannot prove there is a God, but you cannot prove there is a God. You do not come to God by reason, folks. You come to God by faith. Let me say that again. You do not come to God through your intellect. You don't come to God through reasoning. You come to God by faith. Likewise, you don't reject God by reason. You reject God by faith. There's a simple difference between a believer and an atheist. A believer chooses to believe in God. An atheist chooses not to believe in God. Both of those require faith. But something else must be added here. The facts are on the side of the believer, not the unbeliever. When it comes to God, it takes more faith not to believe in God than to believe in God. A professor at Purdue University, a Ph.D. educated at Oxford, was boasting to his class one time that he was an atheist. But he did it in really a kind of a refreshing, honest way. Here's what he said. 
As the evangelical Christian accepts God by faith, I reject the idea of God by faith. I cannot reject God by reason alone, for there's too much evidence of his existence. By faith, I am an atheist. And that, again, is why only one half of one verse in the entire Bible is really given to the atheist. The Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Incidentally, whether you believe it or not, it is absolutely irrelevant as to whether you believe God exists or not. I heard about some parents who taught their child from the time he was born that there is no God. Finally, this little fellow got old enough and did a little thinking on his own, and he came in one day and said to his dad, Dad, do you think God knows we don't believe in him? Now, I would add that it is inessential to prove the existence of God. God doesn't need anybody to prove anything, nor does he need anything to be proved by anyone. I'm not here this morning to try to convince you that God exists. That's not my job. God has left, I'll tell you, his fingerprints, his footprints, his signature all over creation as evidence of his existence And only a fool would deny it. Author A.W. Pink in his book, The Attributes of God, says this concerning the eternalness of God. In the beginning, God. He said, there was a time, if time it could be called, when God in the unity of his nature, though subsisting equally in three divine persons, that's the Trinity, dwelt all alone. In the beginning, God There was no heaven where his glory is now particularly manifested. There was no earth to engage his attention. There were no angels to hymn his praises. No universe to be upheld by the power of his word. There was nothing, no one but God and that not for a day, a year, or an age, but from everlasting. That just blows your mind, doesn't it? During a past eternity, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. Had a universe, had angels, had human beings been necessary to him in any way, they also had been called into existence from all eternity. The creating them, the creating of them when he did added nothing to God, essentially. He changes not, Malachi 3.6. Therefore, his essential glory can neither be augmented or diminished. Second thing we learn about God from Genesis 1-1, God is highly exalted. The first fact of faith presented in the Bible is in the beginning, God. God is mentioned 32 times in the first 31 verses of the Bible. The emphasis of the first chapter of Genesis is not on the creation created by God. It is on the God who created creation. The subject of this first chapter is not creation. That's the object. The subject is God. The very name that is used here for God, again, is most revealing. We've talked about this. We did a whole series on the names of God. There are many, many names for God in the Bible. It's interesting that the first name used for God, the way God introduces himself there in Genesis 1-1, is he uses a Hebrew name, Elohim. And this name shows up 2,500 times in the Old Testament. It's very, very, again, important to understand The names of God, because the names of God reveal the nature, the attributes, the character of God. And this name is just filled with meaning. And it's actually a compound of two names, El and Allah. And the name El literally means strong one or almighty. 
Now this tells us our creator God is a God of unlimited strength and ability. This is a God for whom nothing is impossible. The very fact that God created the heavens and the earth and that we can look around confirms that. God is able to do anything. The prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 32, verse 17, ah, that, that word ah, it's not ah, it, it, it's just like ah, I, it just, it, it's just this overwhelmed feeling, ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for you. The other half of this name, the word Allah, it literally means to swear, to bind with an oath or to make a covenant. This tells us our creator God, he is a God of covenant. He is a God of promise keeping. He is a God of uncompromising integrity. He is a God who always keeps his word. He is a God who makes unbreakable covenants with mankind. We're told in Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot break a promise. He cannot tell a lie. Someone once wrote, said, God writes with a pen that never blots, speaks with a tongue that never skips, and acts with a hand that never fails. These four words, in the beginning, God, are the entryway into the rest of the Bible. Again, it destroys all kinds of of philosophical air. Atheism is destroyed because there is a God. Polytheism is destroyed because there's only one God. Pantheism is destroyed, which says that God is simply in nature because we know that God created nature, making him above and beyond outside of all that he created. Materialism is destroyed because we know that matter is not eternal. Only God is eternal. Fatalism is destroyed because we know that neither fate nor chance dictates, drives our lives, but a sovereign God who is in control of this universe. It is not an overstatement to say that these four words, in the beginning, God, are vitally important and virtually indispensable to understanding the true meaning of life itself. Third thing we learn about God from Genesis 1-1, God is all powerful. In the beginning, God created. We're told here that God is the originator. He is the um, initiator of everything and everyone. God did not create this universe. He did not create you because he needed to, but because he wanted to. Big difference. God wanted you here Now, one of two things have to be true. Either a dead God is the creation of men or a living God is the creator of men. Mark and Jim and Jason, you guys will love this. Author Stephen Carnock, remember that? Yes, our theologian in residence. And the existence and attributes of God defines the power of God in this way. He says, the power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatever he pleases. Whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve as holiness is the beauty of all God's attributes, so power is that which gives life and action to all the perfections of the divine nature. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power 
did not step in to execute them. Without power, his mercy would be but feeble pity. His promises, an empty sound. His threatenings, a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. Yeah. The whole book's filled like that. I mean, it's like about this thick. Again, we see in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In this verse, we see again a great example of the power that God possesses. The word created in the Hebrew word barah, and it literally means to make something out of nothing. Think about that. To make something out of nothing. Ever tried to make something out of nothing? And I'm not talking about hamburger helper, okay? If your hamburger needs that much help, it probably just needs to be thrown in the trash, okay? It's probably gone bad or something. Kind of right up there with spam. Ever had spam? Whew. We used to eat that stuff at home. My mom would kind of uh, cut that and then she would fry it. And man, as a kid, I used to think that stuff was great. And then we went up to the Austin Museum. This isn't on the notes, by the way. She's back there <laughs> searching through the papers. Where is he? We went to, that, to the Spam Museum. I think it's up in Austin. Is that where it's at? And, and, and I had not had Spam for, I think, like 20 years. And I thought, ah, oh, this would be a great thing. And so we bought like four or five cans of this stuff, took it home, and I opened it, and I fried it, and I took one bite of it. It was so disgusting. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'm, so I looked on the ingredients. You know what the ingredients of Spam is? One word, whatever. A mouse falls into the grinder, whatever. Cockroaches, whatever. Stuff is disgusting. Where are we at, Tasha? Okay. It's impossible. I mean, only God has that kind of power to make something out of nothing. There's no need for science to go back and try to verify this because by the very nature of it, it's unverifiable. It has to be accepted by faith and not by reason alone. Hebrews 11.3 makes a plain, by faith. Faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Throughout the scripture, only God is the subject of this verb. The verb never refers to what man can do, only to what God can do. You see, men can build and we can mold and we can make, but we cannot create Something out of nothing. There's a difference between a craftsman and a creator. A carpenter can make a chair out of wood, but he cannot create the wood out of nothing. There's a difference between something made out of something and creating something out of nothing. Some years ago, scientists announced that they had been able to create artificial protein in the laboratory. Big scientific breakthrough. Since protein is kind of one of the basic building blocks of life, this achievement just took the scientific world by storm. The Saturday Evening Post interviewed a number of the scientists to kind of get their reaction to this breakthrough. And Dr. Vincent Alfrey of the Rockefeller Institute said, this is one of the biggest stories of the century. A famous biochemist said, this century will go down in history as the century when life ceased to be a mystery Life is only 
chemistry. One British scientist, he went so far as to say after this discovery, he said, I now find it no longer necessary to believe in God. When the Post interviewed a Roman Catholic by the name of George Kelly, George Kelly said, when a biochemist is able to create matter and energy out of nothing, then I would like to talk to him. The Bible makes it plain that God created this world and everything, the galaxies, the universes, ex nihilo, and that is out of nothing. I don't think I can improve on the way an eloquent preacher once put it when he said this. He said, God stepped from behind the curtain of nowhere onto the platform of nothing and spoke a world into existence. The reason God came from nowhere is because there wasn't anywhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing, and the reason he had to stand on nothing was because there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere and caught something when there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. Do you need me to read that again? (laughs) Then standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and he struck the anvil of his omnipotence and sparks flew everywhere. He caught these sparks from the tip of his fingers and flung them out into the space and bedecked the heavens with stars and nobody said a word. And the reason nobody said anything was because there wasn't anybody there to say anything. So God himself said, That's good. That is the power of God that God alone possesses. Final insight, we get into Genesis 1-1. God is purposeful. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very plainly, we are told, folks, you are not here this morning by accident. You are not here this morning by chance. We are here by choice. God's choice, God's design, God's plans, God's timing, God's purposes for you are to be fulfilled now. You are not an accident. We are not an incident. Behind all this creation lies the sovereign hand of an omnipotent God who has a plan for all of his creation, which you and I are blessed to be a part of. We know of at least two reasons why God created the heavens and the earth. First, it was for his enjoyment. All of this creation was made to please God. Revelation 4, 11 says this, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. This creation is here to give God pleasure. But of all creation is also to praise him. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says this, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever, amen. The psalmist said in Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's why we love worship here. It takes breath to praise him. Now think about that. The plants breathe, animals breathe, people breathe, everything and everyone that God created is to bring glory and honor and praise to him. Second reason God created the heavens and the earth are for our enjoyment. 
God created this world for us to dwell in. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. This world was built for us as a temporary dwelling place. God intended for us to live in it, to explore it, to learn about it, and to use it. God also created this world for you and I to delight in. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. This world was created for God's glory, for our good. So this verse brings us to a reality that every person must face. The God who conceived this universe and created this universe also controls it. We should give God the same place in our hearts that he holds in this universe. Let me close by just saying this. One of the greatest things God has given to us for our enjoyment, for our delight, is his son, Jesus Christ who was the second person of that triune, the Trinity, God the Son. And he chose, and God sent him to come and to live among us as a human being who lived and ministered here upon the earth and ultimately went to the cross and died for our sins, was resurrected three days later in order to lead us in the everlasting ways of God, both in this life and in the life to come. I want to just close with 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Man, I hope you're born again to a living hope here this morning. If you're not, you can be. According to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why Jesus resurrected from the dead was to give you a living hope through being born again. Also to obtain an inheritance. Some of you have an inheritance in here this morning that needs to be claimed which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last age. That salvation has been revealed in this age. God wants to give us a living hope and an inheritance. The Bible says he did all of that. It's there. It's provided for. It's accessible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, have you received this living hope? Have you said yes to his inheritance for you? Have you been born again? Have you asked, and again, we use that terminology, it's just asking Jesus, Jesus, would you just come and live in my heart? God, would you just come and take control of my life? God, would you forgive my sins? I'm a sinner. And I thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and his blood was shed. That's what we do in communion. The juice, it is a symbol of God's, of Jesus' blood that was shed. And that was God's promise through the shed blood of Christ to just forgive and to wipe all of our sins away. Have you received that gift? 
If you're here this morning and you're not sure about any of this, talk to one of us. We'd love to explain more to you about this awesome relationship inheritance that God wants and has for you. So next week, we're going to pick it up here by talking about who is Jesus. It's going to be awesome. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's stand together. Father, we just thank you so much. You are an amazing, incredible, awesome God. And Lord, as finite beings, we cannot even begin to grasp but a fraction of that this morning. And yet, Father, we thank you that your word says, Lord, that it is by your spirit that your Holy Spirit just continues to search the deep things of God. And the Father, your spirit wants to come and give that revelation, that insight, that understanding to our spirit this morning. That God, we would would see that not only are you great, but oh God, you are beyond great. You are beyond words to describe how awesome you are. And that, God, you created us, Lord, in a way that we can be fascinated by who you are. And so, Father, this morning, I would just ask that you would come this morning and just begin to fascinate our hearts with you. That, God, you would come and begin to bring revelation knowledge. That, God, you would just begin to come and to open our eyes to the even deeper things of who you are your plans, your purposes for our lives. God, we just want to delight in you this morning. So Father, I just pray, Lord, you'll come and just move and give and bring revelation in a way, God, that would just cause our hearts to delight in you, that would just cause our hearts to just come alive unto you. And Father, I pray if there's any here this morning that don't know you, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just begin to open the eyes of their understanding, open the eyes of their heart, that God, by faith, they would just be willing to say, God, will you come? Will you reveal yourself to me? Will you show yourself to me, God, in such a way that would cause my disbelief to become belief? So, Father, I just pray, Lord, if there's any here this morning, that, God, that they would not resist your Holy Spirit this morning, but, God, there would be an eagerness and just a willingness, an openness to say, come, Father, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, live in me. And, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for that life. We thank you again for that resurrection life. We thank you for that living hope. We thank you for that inheritance. And Father, we just want to walk more and more in that living hope and in that inheritance. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.